Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. How can I explain myself? This is the Life of a Song, a monthly music podcast for the FT. Each episode explores the biography of a different song, its origins, cover versions, samplings, how it evolved over time. I'm Griselda Murray-Brown and I'm the host of the FT's weekly culture podcast, Everything Else. And on this episode of Life of a Song, we have something a bit different for you. The Life and Arts section of FT Weekend is doing a special millennial edition this weekend. And so we're extending that to the Life of a Song podcast. I have two millennials in the studio with me. Hi, Harriet. Hello. It's nice to be part of the takeover. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, India. Hi. Both Harriet and India write for the FT, and they've both contributed numerous pieces to the themed edition, which you should all go and read online. They are here to debate millennial music in particular, and we're going to be trying to decide which song sums up the millennial generation or the millennial moment. Okay, so we're going to get some quick answers from you both before diving in. Harriet, what song have you chosen? The song I have chosen is Wild Thoughts by DJ Khaled featuring Rihanna and Bryson Tiller, which is a choice that I will defend in full in the course of this podcast. (laughs) Okay, in India? I have chosen Drake's iconic Nice For What one week old, already a classic. Let's start by listening to Wild Thoughts and then, Harriet, you can tell us why it's your choice. I wouldn't want to make a case for it being part of some enduring canon of music. Um, the reason the reason I chose it though is obviously this idea of kind of talking about a millennial song and what I like about Wild Thoughts is that it plays with so many things intergenerationally. So the sample on Wild Thoughts, which is actually so close to the original that many people have said it's an exact copy, is from Carlos Santana's Maria Maria, which came out in 1999. <laughs> The millennials who were born at the beginning of the 80s would have gone to college with like that as the soundtrack to their dorm room parties and kind of like first loves. Then we get to now and those millennials are now in their mid 30s and what we've got instead is the younger generation coming up and for the youngest millennials it's Wild Thoughts by DJ Khaled that kind of epitomises this current moment. And I just thought that was an interesting way of looking and kind of thinking about what exactly it means to be a millennial. I also like the fact that um, Santana himself is like absolutely in no way part of this generation I mean he's originally a baby boomer artist like he came up at Woodstock so the fact that he managed to engineer this comeback in 1999 at all by hitching himself onto 
the boom in the pop industry at that time was impressive in itself. So I just feel like, yeah, this is a song that plays with lots of funny things that are going on in um Well, music. there's also kind of a parallel there between DJ Khaled and Santana in that they're both hitching themselves to younger millennial artists and getting some kind of energy from that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, DJ Khaled is 42, but he's always aligned himself. I mean, on Grateful, the album which Wild Thoughts is from, Beyonce's on there, I think Justin Bieber's on there, Calvin Harris. So he's doing something very, very similar to what Santana, or I think probably Santana's producers, did in 1999, which was thinking, oh, this guy is getting a bit over the hill. What we need to do is basically make him just kind of the unifying thread of this album, which then featured people like CeeLo Green, Wycliffe John, who kind of bought the bought the cool factor at that time to the songs. So Maria Maria sounds pretty dated now. I mean, it has kind of fun memories. And, and Wild Thoughts, on the other hand, sounds, sounds very now. India, what do you think, what is it about that that makes it sound now, do you think? I think for anything to sound now, it needs to be inflected through hip-hop. I think it's impossible to overstate the ascendancy, ascendancy of hip-hop in pop culture at the moment. It is absolutely everywhere. And when you marry genres with hip hop, it sounds incredibly contemporary because that's just the state mm. of pop music and popular culture today. We are fixated with black culture, but also this kind of sense of nostalgia and of pastiches, of bringing things together. Mm. And Wild Thoughts, which I love, is like a perfect example of that, bringing together this, collapsing this era and putting it through this kind of hip hop lens. And it also has that slightly kind of Caribbean vibe. Trop-y. It's just trop. Tr- yeah, it's yeah. the sort of next step from Tropical House. It's this summer infused kind of vibe, and I love it. Yeah, I was trying to listen to the two tracks side by side and kind of, because you're right, it does sound dated, Maria Maria. And what is that? I think it's like far less produced. You can almost like hear Santana's guitar strings really like twanging, and it feels almost polite. It's very like melodic, even when you've got the rapping. Whereas what happens in Wild Thoughts, it goes like right in from the beginning, which is actually something that's happened increasingly with the um, predominance of streaming over album sales because you've got to hook people instantly. So you can't have this like slow yeah. intro build. Up. Yeah, <laughs> there's no build. It's basically, you know, DJ Khaled coming on and shouting. I think he shouts like, <laughs> we the best, best music, music yes. another one, DJ Khaled. And then it's just like straight in there. There's no room for kind of um, an enjoyable intro. It's almost like having like an overture. <laughs> I think also that just the present, DJ Khaled as a persona and his presence in that song mm. is so emblematic of now because DJ Khaled is like a cartoonish figure, like he's a cultivated kind of buffoon. And there's no reason for his his voice to be on that song, for him to be saying like, we the best music, but because it sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but we love it because it's, it's self-aware, it's ironic. It gives the song this kind of distance. We're so used to everything being self-aware and, and ironic, and that just adds so much him being there, even though it's kind of absurd. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It it's makes like, it so of this moment. It's interesting this idea about kind of distance, because like you're saying, there's a distance in terms of the irony and the presentation, but also I feel like songs today do, like Harriet, you were saying, they sound very produced, and there's a kind of distance, in a sense, away from like the human voice and the instruments almost. Things seem to be going through a kind of a level of technology that we have now that even like maybe 20 years ago we didn't have and so things things can sound very different they sound very highly tuned they sound very layered mm, there's a podcast called switched on pop which coined this term the pop drop which has kind of replaced the chorus in quite a lot of songs mainly i think justin beaver kind of exemplifies it where you kind of build and build and build and then 
when you think you're about to get the chorus, what you just get is like all these kind of distorted vocals, callbacks, extremely like hyper produced and like very like energetic and euphoric sounding moment. Mm. But it's not a typical chorus. It's what's called the millennial whoop. It's not the pop job, but it's a similar kind of it's not a lyric uh it's not even a hook it's not a chorus but it's just like a little recurring tick almost would you like to sing a bit for us (laughs) well well (laughs) that's very good yeah (laughs) and this is a sound that reoccurs in songs from like the kings of leon all the way through to like frank ocean they've all got this particular yeah sort of no covers combination. a spectrum of genres and people and everything yeah this idea india of hip-hop having a very different place in the mainstream consciousness now than before your choice drake i mean he's a pretty important figure in all of this isn't he yeah i mean i think drake is to a large extent kind of the centerpiece of popular culture at the moment i think basically I've chosen Drake because Drake is, he's not only the the sound of now, but he has been the sound of now at any given point that you want to choose in the past eight or nine years. He understands where the culture is at and he shapes music accordingly. And I think if you looked at, for example, if you looked at like the biggest pop stars right now in terms of cultural influence, you would be talking about Beyonce, Kanye West and Drake. But the thing about Beyonce and Kanye West is that they are pursuing personal projects and a personal vision that exists that isn't really in any way correlated with, with where music is at. It's a personal agenda. Drake is the opposite. Drake is concerned with, here's where the culture is at and here is how I want to shape music around it. And he has a really amazing ability to do that. So the song that I've chosen is this song called Nice For What, which is, I mean, it's a fantastic song. It's it's an amazing exercise in the genre. It's a a New Orleans bounce song, essentially, that samples an R&B hit from the 90s by Lauryn Hill called X Factor. But it's it's so perfectly tied to this moment. Okay, let's, let's listen to a clip from Nice For What. came out one week ago and the video on YouTube has had 39 million views. I am responsible for about <laughs> 1 million of those. Um, it's so perfectly tied to this moment because the conceit of the song is that Drake is speaking to a woman whose boyfriend has broken up with her and he's saying, who even cares? Don't even worry about these guys. Just live your life. Be empowered. People don't say that in hip-hop typically. People in hip-hop famously sort of say, you should be getting with me. Drake understands this political and cultural moment so well. The video features basically every zeitgeisty woman at this moment. Yara Shahidi, Issa Rae, like all these amazing women who usually mostly people of colour who have just, who have been shaping the narrative of what it is to be a woman today and it's just it's a really like radical song but it's peak drake it fits into this narrative of where he is for the past kind of like decade been eroding this space between first of all r&b and hip-hop but also just completely reimagining what hip-hop can be and melding it with all these different genres and just making it the center of everything and and this song is just yet another iteration of drake advancing pop music everything else will be just everything else is just downstream of drake ultimately harry do you agree that everything else is downstream (laughs) of drake (laughs) i see him as like i don't know if it's like a machiavellian figure but like the speed at which he adapts in this very like conscious way is kind of amazing because i think we might listen to a clip from it in a minute songs started from the bottom which wasn't that many years ago i was watching the video for that and 
the only women that you see are basically body parts. Like, there's literally the scene where all you see on the screen is just two women's bums just like gyrating against each other. Like, they don't they don't even show faces. We're kind of at that level. And then you watch the video for Nice for What, which like you say has got Tracy Ellis Ross looking yeah. amazing. It's just this incredibly empowering video. And yeah. it's wild, I suppose, that someone can make that sort of a shift and that we accept it and but is it authentic I think that's the question you're getting at isn't it this is the key thing about Drake is authenticity and I'd say arguably also DJ Khaled is that they are what's so clever about them is they are aware of their own persona and the importance of being authentic in an era in of social media in which you can't manage your PR in a way that you used to be able to the space between the fans and the artist has completely collapsed you can't fake it you have to be real and I think Drake is very he's cultivated persona but it is very authentic and it's believable and you know so it's not just because there's an element of like opportunism about jumping on certainly or or kind of identifying the zeitgeist and then doing that thing yeah and he's he's a savvy appropriator of that but also I think he does it in a way that is believable the video that he put out before Nice for What was God's plan. And in, and in the video, Drake is this kind of godlike figure in which he goes around this town handing out stacks of cash. <laughs> it's totally to ridiculous, it's though. It's absurd, but it's so sweet. I cried. It's so believable. And he's just so. There is a sincerity to Drake and even more so to DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled's album was called Grateful. Like it's, they're, <laughs> they're just incredibly sincere figures and, and they are compelling in an era where fakeness is no longer acceptable. I'm really interested in this idea of sincerity though because I just feel like with both DJ Khaled and with Drake, part of what people are appreciating is the idea that they've both cultivated these personas which they almost have a slight ironic distance from. Yes. Right? So with DJ Khaled it's like posting these um, incredibly inspirational quotes, the keys to success while he's like swilling mouthwash or something or like rubbing (laughs) cocoa butter all over himself but kind of coupled with these really kind of like yeah I'm like a big baller quotes and I feel like with Drake it's the same. He's like look at me I'm like this rapper who like wear my chains around the house but also he's like I love my mum so much and I'm just like quite sad and quite petty and I feel like it's so hard to articulate what kind of the millennial sensibility is but I feel like it's almost being on a journey with those people where you can you feel like you know that it's a slight performance and you can see the two levels of the person and they let you into seeing that right because it's like an earnestness and an irony sort of mixed together isn't it I think think perhaps sincerity isn't right perhaps self-awareness is the right word Drake knows exactly what the character of Drake is in the popular imagination and he plays off that I I think we should say that like Drake is a lot better at this than DJ Khaled DJ Khaled is kind of (laughs) it's kind of a buffet but like I love it a sweet one yeah, I mean, DJ, DJ Khaled, I mean, Grateful his, is produced by his son, a toddler. Assad got an executive <laughs> oh, producer credit on the, too. Yeah, okay. And he genuinely <laughs> believes that like, he'll sit there in interviews and say, you know, no, like, I, I sit there with him in the recording studio and if Assad like, throws up on me, that's a really good sign that it's going to like, this tune's going to really bang. And it's just absolutely mad. But he says it sincerely, but also he knows because you can see from certain things that he does that he, he knows that he's playing with this idea of his public persona, right? Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting when we're talking about their personas and what they have in common is that Drake and Khaled are both quite unusual people to have penetrated hip-hop. Drake is is a half-Jewish. He comes from a middle-class family in Toronto, grew up in the suburbs, became famous on a kids' TV show. He was already famous before he started rapping. DJ Khaled is from Palestinian parents who escaped the West Bank and then immigrated to America. Like, they're very unusual people. And I think that gave them a kind of license to 
do something different with their personas because they were able to like break out of the typical is that like, kind of outsider status yeah. thing yeah yeah and particularly drake he was able to which said drake had an in from the beginning because of being famous he's also like an excellent technical rapper and he had patronage from various rap elders particularly lil wayne but Drake was able to play with his outsider status and he remolded music around that. And I think that for both of them has given them a kind of ability to do something different and to cultivate these personas. And someone else who has undeniably an outsider status is Cardi B. We've been mostly talking about men so far, but she's mm. been a massive cultural figure of the last year or so. Yeah, it's difficult to overstate what a figure Cardi B is in this moment. Her rise has been almost kind of unprecedented she started out as a stripper in atlanta she became a reality tv star and she is now one of the preeminent people not just in hip-hop but in popular music she just released her first album it was widely perceived to be excellent and she's no longer considered this cartoonish one-hit wonder she's a, a serious player in pop music today and um, i think when we're talking about these ideas of authenticity her authenticity is the thing that literally led to her ascent in music because she started out on social media and she has this very compelling personality that we've all kind of seen. Yeah. She's very of this moment. Let's have a listen to Bodette Yellow, which I think was the hit of the summer last year. Honestly, don't give up by who in front of me. Drop two mixtapes in six months. We're breaking as hard as me. I don't bother with these. Don't let these bother me. They see pictures, they say ghosts. I'm who they trying to be. Look, I might just chill in some babe. Okay, so Harriet, you were bopping along to that. Are you, are you a fan of Cardi B? <laughs> I absolutely am. I was bopping along on my balcony at six this morning as well, much to the amusement of the bin men. Um, <laughs> I think Cardi B is younger, she's newer, but I think she ties in really strongly to what we've been talking about in terms of Drake and DJ Khaled because she also has this very conscious and distant almost relationship with her public persona, by which I mean kind of like her glamour and her appearance. So she often, obviously, like India said, she came up via Instagram. She was a social media personality before she was a celebrity. And she kind of keeps it real would be the best term like her latest post is her looking absolutely beautiful in full makeup speaking to the camera on Instagram but then in the background there's just a toilet with the Lucy up and (laughs) (laughs) and it's just this like wonderful sense of engaging with her own presentation Mm. and this kind of almost wry distance and I think people absolutely love that I think all the people we've spoken about the thing that unites them is they've got this kind of they let you in on the fact that part of it is an act. That's yeah, they're sort yeah, of like simultaneously taking themselves incredibly seriously and then also not taking themselves that seriously and kind of self-mocking at yeah, the same time. Yeah, which I think is so hard to say, like, what's a millennial thing? But I feel like that spills over into all aspects of millennial culture in terms of what we find funny. Well, she was kind of, she was reminding me, so the last time we were all in the studio together was for our other podcast FT everything else and we were talking about TV and she does remind me of the girls in Broad City of that kind of slightly like wacky not very traditionally feminine uh, as we would say kind of humour it's very sex positive it's very fun she's just doing what she wants to do I mean it just so happens that Carly ended up as a rapper I think she could have been anything she Mm. could have easily been on a TV show she is just a star who is perfect for this era and it she happened to be an amazing rapper but I think it's like you say Harry it's it's an authenticity but also a cultivated one for example do you think Cardi is like 
PR'd? Like, do you think her posts have been managed by someone? Surely not. I mean, no. she's literally just. Whenever I've read interviews her. with her, I've got the impression that no one can control her, and that's almost part of the <laughs> right. Charm. I mean, that's the yeah. I mean, she's spoken very openly about the fact she got illegal butt implants in like some basement in New York which is just again this brilliant idea of yes I am this beautiful product of kind of femininity but like it's all fake and I'm going to tell you about how it's all fake but it's interesting and like people love that as well she's been massively successful like not just in a kind of niche YouTube way but she's actually had a number one hit but to go back to what we were saying before about the mainstreaming of hip hop this is so emblematic of that like Cardi could not have been successful even five years ago in in this way like it's incredible to think that a woman of colour would become, who was formerly a stripper and has no history with hip hop, could become one of the biggest stars in the whole of music today. I mean, it's like, it just really speaks to like this shift that's been going on for the past decade. And it, yeah, it's just like an amazing thing. And I, I would argue that it is to an extent downstream of Drake, but <laughs> <laughs> I think most things are for you. I, yeah. I mean, she also samples uh, Lauren Hill in um, Be Careful. It's the same song. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, which song. is kind of a really interesting little like, link that Drake and... Yeah. Well, she and it's like before Cardi, the most successful female rapper. Yeah, but that was a really long exactly. time ago in the late 90s. So. Well, it's also funny, this idea that this generation is so large again that all these artists... In fact, yeah, all these artists we're speaking about are like sampling the artists that the first wash of millennials would have been listening to as they came of age. Mm. Those have now become kind of nostalgic hooks for the new generation. That brings us quite nicely to the end. Thanks, Harriet. Thanks, Grizz. And thanks, India. Thank you very much. So you can read pieces by all three of us in the special millennial edition of Life and Arts this weekend. That's the 21st of April. Or online at ft.com slash millennials. And Harriet has written The Life of a Song this week on Wild Thoughts. It is a great read. You can read previous pieces from the Life of a Song series on FD.com online or in our book, The Life of a Song, The Fascinating Stories Behind 50 of the World's Best Loved Songs, which is published by Brewers. Thanks to David Cheel for allowing this millennial takeover of The Life of a Song. He'll be back next month with another episode. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.